0: This is episode three, an executive summary episode with your hosts, Michael and Ryan. You're listening to The Business of Intelligence, the podcast that explores how intelligence serves decision makers beyond the traditional national security audience. Tune in as we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners working at the intersection of business and risk in order to analyze and discuss the field of private sector intelligence. We'll talk about what's working, what isn't, and how intelligence is helping organizations navigate today's global operating environment. Welcome, everyone, to the Business of Intelligence podcast. And I guess I should say welcome back to the both of us. For those of you who have been listening, we had to take a brief pause due to a number of different life events, which we won't bore you with. So I guess the only thing I will say to you, Michael, is welcome back to the U.S.,
1: Thanks, Ryan. It's been a journey getting back here, but uh, it's really great to be back in Northern Virginia in the DC area, and uh, look forward to linking up with a lot of my friends and colleagues in the area.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you back. We we all can't wait to see you. It's great to have my podcast partner back in the U.S. Logistically, it makes things <laughs> a little bit easier. But let's talk about the episode. This is what we're calling an executive summary episode, and we want to give a little bit of background on what this is. We had a couple of fantastic guests in Craig Singleton and Paul Colby at the beginning of the podcast, and there was just so much great stuff in the first two episodes. We wanted to circle back and ensure that we re-emphasize the best content, so some of those lessons learned aren't lost. We also thought the timing right now makes perfect sense to do an executive summary episode because we did have to take a little bit of a break, so why not go back highlight the best content thus far and make sure that everyone can sort of walk away with those lessons learned and those insights that that Craig and Paul shared. So that's a little bit of background. Now, in terms of the ground rules, both Michael and I, we're going to alternate by highlighting one key takeaway or lesson learned from our first two guest episodes. And we're focusing, of course, on what we think matters most to everyone. We purposely did not I repeat, we did not de-conflict before this recording. So for everyone listening, you definitely will hear some overlap between what we're both going to say. However, we think that's actually a really good thing because the redundancy probably means that that particular takeaway or lesson learned is going to really resonate with a lot of people. So bear with us. There's no doubt we're going to overlap. But again, we think that's a good thing. After we sort of bring up each highlight or lesson learned, we're then going to add our own perspective or context around it as well. So we're really looking forward to this. We hope you find this valuable. And so with that, I think we should get started. So Michael, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yes. Thank you, Ryan. There's so many good pieces to focus on as, as I was reading back through the transcripts for the two episodes. I think one that was kind of an overarching theme, which I'll kick off with is to quote Paul, the intelligence professional identity. Uh, Again, I'm kind of reading from our notes from his transcript. And uh, he says, if you call yourself an analyst, you too narrowly cast the role. In the intelligence community, you have the luxury of specializing, whether it's in collection or analysis. In the business setting, you don't have that luxury of saying, I just do analysis or I just do X. You have to be a full service station or full service officer. And I think that's a great example, not only in the private sector, but also in government. Uh, You know, over the years, depending what kind of uh, situations you might be or small unit teams, you might not have the luxury to say, I only do this. You have to have hands on with everything. And I think it's especially critical in the corporate space where there are limited, finite resources and to really show your value you need to be able to contribute in multiple ways even going back to my my finance career working for some of the big financial services companies the the teams were always understaffed overtasked and to show value to the business units it was really understanding how you could help in multiple facets and your analysis skills would only be part of it you'd also have to go out gather information on your own and be able to convey it to customers and different stakeholders in a positive way. So, so much good information, but that was the number one topic that I wanted to throw out.
0: Yeah, it looks like we're one for one because that was one of the key takeaways that I pulled from Paul's conversation as well. I couldn't agree more. I loved how he framed it through the lens of the intelligence cycle, meaning that regardless of what step you're doing, you're going to be involved along the entire journey or along the entire way The other thing you talked about was a specialization, which takes place in the government between analysis and collection. You know, a lot of times you're on on one side of those. You've spoken about this before, actually, in terms of the dichotomy and sometimes disconnect between analysts and collectors in the public sector. And I think what's happened is this is just another paradigm that we've brought over into the private sector. And we should question it, or we should at least have a conversation around it. And I realize we're only talking about labels, but I I think this one matters for a couple of different reasons. Number one, I think we're actually selling ourselves short and we're really not reaching our full potential by casting ourselves as just the analyst, as you said, sort of putting us into that box. And so for everyone listening, if you work for a large organization, your company probably has what's called an HR business partner, a legal business partner, IT business partner, That's someone that your, your department goes to when you have an issue or you need advice in one of those areas. And there's credibility attached to that. And what I'd like to see is an intel practitioners viewed as business partners. And in order to do that, you have to be viewed, I think, as a trusted advisor. And so, in order to be viewed that way, we can't have our role too narrowly cast, as Paul said. The other sort of aspect of this that stands out to me is industry research. You know, we have friends and colleagues that are working on their PhDs or they've already gotten their PhDs. And they're sort of sharing this research with us that there's about 750, you know, I'm just kidding. It's it's not 750, but it seems like that. There's so many different descriptions for today's private sector intelligence analyst when you look at job postings and how those roles are defined. And so what that tells me, there's not an industry standard and we do have some ways to go. But one of the first steps, in my opinion, is just acknowledging what all the role consists of and possibly using intelligence advisor or something in that arena to coalesce around to help professionalize the field, to make HR's life a little bit easier for us, et cetera. So I completely agree. It's something that really stood out to me um, from Paul's conversation. I mean, for me personally... Um, my team uses that terminology, intelligence advisors as well, and I think it's a great conversation starter for teams across the private sector. So, good stuff. What's another one for you? You want to keep us going?
1: Yeah, I think again, so many key points, but uh, I think for my number two, one thing that Craig talked about early in his podcast was was defining, managing, and mitigating risk, and. He really brought up several vital points, in my opinion. One of the paraphrases was the importance of the two-way dialogue and understanding of business operations. And uh, you and I have talked about this in the past. I think there's there's overarching themes within our intelligence space, but uh, I think risk and understanding business operations are critically intertwined. And as Craig pointed out, not a lot of stakeholders, not only in the private sector, but in the public and military spaces often as well, people really don't want to look in the mirror and really take a hard, cold look at themselves and understand what the risks are, what their vulnerabilities are. But to really come up with effective mitigation or, in some cases, acceptance strategies for risk, you need to understand what the weaknesses are. As I was going through these, I was trying to come up with examples in, in my past career. and one of them was when i when I worked in financial services, we supported different fixed income trading desks. They each had their own trading or business lines, whether it's mortgage-backed securities, fixed income derivatives. And to each of those business units, their product was the most important. And to really make an impact on understanding their risk and showing them how intelligence adds value. I really had to understand at a pretty pretty sophisticated level how those products worked because otherwise they wouldn't take me seriously. So, by being able to convey to them, hey, here's what I understand about your particular business line, how the risks are different than traders in other areas, but because of my understanding, I can show you effective ways where you might want to raise the haircut, which is basically the the surcharge for a certain product that would increase their profitability, but also take the burden off some of that risk. So, you know, I think one of the things that Craig was talking about in his discussion is really whoever your customers are and whether they're direct customers or even indirect ones, how to add value and really sitting down and understanding what's happening, but then also really showing them ways how to mitigate the risk. I thought that was a very uh, key point.
0: Yeah, I love that one. I I feel like it was yesterday when we had that conversation. And I think those are all great points. I'm going to stick with Craig since we're on his episode now. For me, there was one thing that stood out right away and that I haven't been able to forget about or I've, I've been thinking about ever since. And that's the intelligence mindset and why it matters. And that's something that Craig dove into quite a bit. And so I think his main message there was that intelligence is really, it's more of a mindset, it's a curiosity, you know. it's an interest in uncovering an answer to a question that no one can really get to the bottom of. And it's not about how many requests that you get, or it's not about how many reports or products that you produce. It's much more than that. And he really highlighted three key traits, if I can remember that make up the intelligence mindset, which include being curious, being entrepreneurial, and being team oriented. And to be honest, there's not a lot that I think I can add to those three traits. I think they stand on their own, but here's my experience with each one. When it comes to being curious, um, I'll just share a quick story. One of the most interesting projects undertaken by a team that I've been on was due to someone's intellectual curiosity. And that curiosity led to one of the most high profile projects and high profile audiences you can imagine. So without the curiosity, you're not always gonna have those really interesting requirements and thus the really interesting work because let's be honest, private sector customers are not always accustomed to leveraging intelligence and, and thus you have to lead them to water, so to speak from time to time. And having that intellectual curiosity can help you do that. With regards to entrepreneurial spirit, I loved what he talked about there. That is a hiring requirement for any team that I'm on. I don't care how institutionalized and entrenched your Intel function is. You have to make things happen on your own. Most of the time you have to ask for what you want, whether that's resources or what the customer needs, and you have to bring solutions to the table and not just the problems or the bad news, which Craig talked about. And then He talked about being team oriented and I think he shared maybe a lesson learned or two with us about how he learned that the hard way and you know I I think I have as well over the over the years but we already know how bad operating in silos can be and I I think about the team just beyond my immediate team members and I think everyone should do the same he also talked about intelligence as a guild and I can't think of a more effective multiplier Than having an industry wide team or your network that you can turn to when you need it for answers or support or resources. So, you know, I think a lot of us maybe go into this thinking that this is an individual sport when, again, it is a team sport and you need that team surrounding you to help you be successful and to help get things done And it's, to me, it's the ultimate equalizer, whether or not you're on a small team with very limited resources or a massive team with a lot of different resources, building that team internally and externally is just going to make you successful. So I love that message. I love that key takeaway. So why don't I keep going and I will kick us off on the next one and then I'll turn it back to you. I'm going to pivot back to Paul because I've been excited to talk about this and I'm not sure if this grabbed your attention or if this is one of your key takeaways or not. But another lesson learned that really resonated when we talked to Paul was the best intelligence goes to the best clients. And I believe his main message there was, it means that being engaged in the process and being an active part of the process is really, really important. And so there's a couple of things I want to flag for everyone. The first is a book it's a, it's a book that I would recommend to anyone listening. It's called The Age of Agile by Stephen Denning. But if you don't have time for that, there's a, a really short article that I want to highlight for everyone. It's called The 12 Principles Behind the Agile Manifesto, the Guiding Practices that Support Teams in Implementing and Executing with Agility. And so what I'm getting at here is agile project management, if you will, and It's really, really interesting because I think there's some fantastic parallels between these Agile principles and maybe what we do. So let me quickly read three principles from the Agile Manifesto. One example is our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through earliest and continuous delivery of valuable software. And by the way, this is about software development. But if you translate that to our field, to Intel practitioners, think about that. The highest priority is to satisfy the customer. And then the second part of that is early and continuous delivery. So what that means is you do not have to wait until the very end to deliver a product, so to speak, whatever that looks like. You can provide insights all along the way to the customer, get continuous feedback, make sure you're answering the requirements, make sure that you're not missing the mark. So that's really interesting. A second principle is deliver working software frequently from a couple of weeks to a couple of months with a preference to the shorter timescale. And in my opinion, what that translates into is, again, providing those insights along the way. You don't have to wait until the very end, to deliver this big report and then hope that you hit the mark. You can do it much more frequently, get that feedback like I talked about. And then one just quick final one of the 12, at regular intervals, the team reflects on how to become more effective, then tunes and adjusts its behavior accordingly. So what this reminds me of is the feedback portion of the Intel cycle, which Paul talked about quite a bit. So again, at regular time, sitting back, reflecting, are we doing what we're supposed to do? Are we answering the question talking to the customer, make sure that we're on the right path, pivoting if we need to. And so why am I sharing all this? Because I think this mantra of the best intelligence goes to the best clients. If we actually take a look at agile project management principles, there's some real insight and some real parallels there that we can adopt to help us be successful. The other thing I would say is, and we've talked about this before, Michael, I mean, intelligence is a participatory sport. And it just can't be conducted effectively if if we're sitting on the sidelines. So you have to work with the client or the customer to better understand their timelines, their needs, how you're going to deliver the results or the insights, and what's the best way to do that. And I think the key takeaway from that and from this insight from Paul is that, you know, if you do all that, your team is going to have line of sight that their work is being useful, that it's actually being used in decision-making, Because we all know that the absolute worst thing (laughs) is to do all this incredible and hard work, throw it out there into the black hole, and you hope that somebody reads it. You hope that it affected somebody's decision-making in a good way. You hope that somebody noticed. And you can avoid all of that by working closely with the customer. And it's why the best intelligence goes to the best clients as well, which I'm sure we'll talk about more. So... That is one that really stood out to me and I was excited to talk about. So let me turn it over to you to see what you think.
1: Yeah, Ryan, I definitely had that highlighted, that that exact phrase, the best intelligence goes to the best clients. I guess just something I'll add and actually pulling from Craig's interview that reinforces that is Craig alluded to something that I've used with success over the years is that To really satisfy the customer, you need to know what they're thinking and where they want to go. A lot of times to really excel at that, you need to try to tap into the network around that customer stakeholder. Craig gave an example of where he became friendly with the executive assistant to one of his customers, and she gave him information as to his schedule, who he, who he might be meeting with. And then this gave Craig information where he could go off and do side research to get back to that person to prepare them. And this was a, it started its own info loop where he, he was almost a step ahead of the customer. He was giving him information he needed, which built trust in the customer and then wanted to talk to Craig more. So it's, it's kind of a loop. I think that reinforces what Paul was saying in that situation. I think I'm going to stick with Paul because he had something that really resonated with me regarding time management. And I, I really had a smile when he was sharing his antidote because I'll tell a quick story of mine. When when I was preparing to go to Afghanistan, uh, there was four teams. I found out last minute that I was going to actually be in charge of the four teams. So when I started calling down range and just getting atmospherics on on how everyone's workload was it just seemed like there were a lot of side projects that that were that seemed important but were pulling away from the main mission of supporting the task force that they were involved with one of the big ones was a daily and a weekly roll up and i quickly assessed that it was definitely a time stealer and i just said hey you know what like we're going to stop doing that we're going to focus on what our core mission is and i'll I'm making inroads with the main stakeholder and if, and when it comes up, I'll explain. And what we found out was we were sending that daily roll up to more than 60 people. And it turned out only two people were reading it. And, you know, that it took us pretty quick to figure that out. The two people were very frustrated. They wanted the information, but we quick realized we, we could find more streamlined ways to provide that information to keep those two happy And then it really freed up a lot of time and resources to focus on the two core missions that we identified. You know, I think it's even when I was listening to Paul, I I could relate. But I was thinking that I think some people might hear that and say, well, that's easier said than done. But it, you know, it really does. I think that's where, uh, especially people at the manager or director and above level, you know, you really have to understand the requirements, the customer, the business operation, and really be able to articulate to higher level officers. This is why we're doing away with this one project and focusing on the other. So I, that was something I, I thought was something that I wish I would have known when I was newer to the intel and analysis fields. You know, I think it's hopefully resonates with some of our listeners.
0: Yeah. I mean, I will never forget when he talked about the best way to get feedback on something is just to stop doing it. I mean, it's so simple and so effective. I'll never forget it. And I... I think that's a great call out on the time management one. Just one quick um, perspective on that particular one. You know, we have these conversations all the time within the field, whether we're at conferences or just sort of benchmarking with our friends and colleagues at other companies. But What's the value in a daily or a weekly? And again, it's one of these paradigms that exists or comes from our time spent in the public sector, probably. We brought it over to the private sector. And I do think there's value. I mean, I, I don't want to dismiss it. I think especially when you're at a level of maturity with your function where you're trying to get your name out there, you're trying to market yourselves, you're trying to demonstrate some expertise and show people what you can do and who you are. So I I think there's value in that regard, but I think at some point you have to, yeah, you have to get away from that and you start to evolve to a more tailored approach, if you will. And that's a really great segue to my next lesson learned. And it comes from Craig and it's something that really resonated with me. And he was talking about the best way to demonstrate value as an intelligence function is to take a tailored approach. So that's my next lesson I wanted to share with everyone. His main message with this one, it was that if your approach is really tailored, you're going to end up building specialty. And that's a good thing. You're not going to be able to take on everything at once. And even the companies with massive amounts of resources, he pointed out, don't take on everything at once. And it can be a really slippery slope. You can get yourself in trouble a little bit if you try to take on too many lines of effort at some point too many different complex issues, especially when you're trying to justify your existence. Because as we know, we oftentimes find ourselves in similar situations as our brothers and sisters in, let's say, physical security, where we might be viewed as a cost center. And so we're constantly trying to prove ourselves. And so we talked about making yourself so invaluable that decision makers can't even conceive that they would get rid of the function. I really love that one. And I've got just a couple of sort of additions to that. The first one I would say is I would argue that intelligence is actually not intelligence unless it's tailored to the customer's needs. Otherwise, it's it's just noise. I think that's a mantra that I've always tried to live by. And I know our, our teams have tried to live by. So you got to make sure it's tailored. Otherwise, you know, who's it going to in and what question is it answering and what is it for? It, it just doesn't make too much sense. The second thing is another paradigm that I think we're gonna chat about down the road and I would love to actually do a podcast episode about this. I think we could talk about this all day with a number of different people. And that is how do I set up my intelligence function in the analysts? You know, and the questions we're constantly asking, is it strategic versus tactical? Is it functional versus geographic? And I think those are all really good questions to ask and being prepared to offer expertise and capability in any or all of them is a good thing. But let's go back to what Craig said about taking a tailored approach to building specialty. If you place the customer at the center of everything that you do, and you just simply focus on tailoring what you do to meet their needs, then I think that's actually gonna answer the question for you in terms of how you should set up your function especially if you're just getting started out, it's around your customers and what they need. And if you can build expertise and capability to match their needs, you're going to build a steady state of credibility. And then you can use that credibility to start cashing in on some of the things that you want to do as a team or areas in which you want to expand, you know, those things you've always dreamed of doing, you know, you can get there. And I, I, listen, I know I'm simplifying it. It's definitely more nuanced and complicated, but it's also something that we'll, we'll explore later. But I think what Craig was trying to do was give us the right mindset to demonstrate value and eventually grow. And I believe, you know, taking a tailored approach is a must have. So that was one that really stood out to me. So, all right. What's next for you? What do you got?
1: I have in my notes, uh, I actually use the, the phrase customer driven and intelligence is a service industry. And, and this was pulled from Craig's interview. But uh, I think a lot of it overlaps what what you were just talking about, but I'll I'll add some additional thoughts. You know, one thing I thought was interesting is uh, Craig actually had a quote that it was a disservice to shareholders and others vested in company by not addressing specific risks. And that kind of tied as well into what you were saying about having a tailored approach to intelligence. You know, I I think this is something that I've personally observed in, in the public sector, not not just the private but you know i think sometimes there's a tendency where it's almost like data regurgitation like you might you might have analysts that are they're they're pretty much reading social media or other types of osint and they're just pushing it out and i think sometimes that kind of ties into a separate discussion where there's an argument, well, big data is going to take the place of different types of intelligence professionals, where I think the key point is that it's not the OSINT itself, it's what what does the intelligence professional add to that value-wise? So, for example, if you see something on all the major news networks, that's information, but a true intelligence professional can figure out some way to find uh, some some human source or different validating information that that actually adds something unique to that information. And that goes back to the tailored approach. You know, it's something that uh, you you and I have talked about multiple times and Craig. And, you know, I I just think that was definitely a, a takeaway that I think should be should be considered by people out there.
0: I totally agree. I was I was smiling because you know we hit on another one of the same ones. I, I pulled that one out as well, and what I wrote down in my notes was intelligence is a service industry, and you have to understand the customer needs. So it obviously resonated with the both of us, and I think it's going to resonate with everyone listening. And you gave that great quote about the shareholders. Another thing that I sort of noted was you know craig said it doesn't matter if your customer is the ceo or the secretary of state you have to anticipate their needs you have to give them exactly what they want tell them where they're going to fall short and have a humbleness in doing it and we'll come back to that word humbleness in just a second he also talked about staying close to the customer is vital and it might be more important than what you actually produce now for some people listening that that may throw you for a loop you may find that is I don't know, somewhat controversial. You may disagree. I happen to fully agree. Again, something we'll talk about in the future, but I w- getting away from the idea of quote unquote products, um, I talk about this with my teammate all the time. As the Intel practitioner, you are really the product. The report that you produce or whatever is just an output of you know trying to answer this question and going through the cycle, but you are really the product. And so It's just critically important to stay close to the customer. And Craig talked about the idea that people would be engaging in activities or producing analysis that no one cares about or no one reads or that no one has value in. (laughs) You know, he said, I know we both laughed, but he said, that's a dagger to the heart and a quick way to demoralize all of us. So we already talked about the fact that that's, that's the worst case scenario for us, you know, is not to be seen or heard after putting in all this time or effort, but that can be prevented you know, that can be prevented by taking some of these steps that Paul and Craig talk about. The other thing that I really keyed on with this particular lesson is the importance of having a humble servant approach or a servant leader approach. You know, this is not the field to have a big ego. It's also not the field to just be thinking about it's about you or even the product which is a trap that I've seen many people fall into to include myself and just to make fun of myself, you know, for a quick moment, I can remember at one point in the military where, you know, we were producing a quote unquote product and all I cared about was how pretty it looked. Basically, it was a PowerPoint deck. I don't think I even remember who it went to, nor did I really care. I just wanted to produce and email out this beautiful PowerPoint deck You know, and it's just ridiculous when I think back on it. But we've all been there. Many of us have been there. You can get caught up in thinking that it's about the product or it's about something else other than the customer. When, again, it's really about the customer and we're in the customer service industry. And so just to illustrate this point that Intel is a service industry, I want to just share a quick quote from a fantastic article that I, I, you know, again, I recommend that everyone just Google this and, and try to go out and find this. It's called What i Learned in 40 Years of Doing Intelligence Analysis for U.S. Foreign Policymakers by Martin Peterson, who's a longtime member of the CIA. And he said the reality for intelligence officers is that we must woo them, sell them on the need for our services, and demonstrate the value of our material daily through its timeliness and its sophistication. If you're an intel officer, the title will often get you in the door, especially the first time but it will not keep you there. Now, he goes on to say, we are not only optional equipment, we are also guests at the dinner party. If we spill the wine, insult the host, and overstay our welcome, we will not be invited back. I love that. We are not only optional equipment, we are guests at the dinner party. And just because we got invited doesn't mean that we can always stay. I think that is a... Wonderful mindset to take, especially in the private sector, where again we may be viewed as a cost center. The other thing that that Craig mentioned that I think is really relevant is that in the public sector, the government bureaucracy can sort of sustain an intelligence function. Those jobs are always going to be there. You know, it's it's just part of the apparatus, the national security apparatus. It's part of the bureaucracy. But we know in the private sector, that's not always the case. And so we're always trying to prove ourselves. We're always trying to add value. And so I just love that mantra. And just overall, the lesson that intelligence is a service industry. And I, I think it's something that we can't forget. I'll stop there and see if you have another one that you wanted to highlight.
1: Uh, real quick, just to piggyback off that one. I, I think one thing I've learned over the years, too, just for everyone listening out there, is that uh, the the customer is always right. And, you know, until you gain true credibility then maybe you could shift their focus but for example i worked at a swiss investment bank and to them and a product was 20 to 30 page written report of qualitative and quantitative analysis with data visualization that was what they consumed they they wanted a risk assessment in that format and anything short of that was unacceptable where when I shifted to an American investment bank, they wanted one paragraph or less, do it or don't do it, because. And, you know, when I look back, you know, I I have my personal opinion, but at the end of the day, two different customers, two different approaches, and you just have to adapt to what what they want because that's how you get invited back to the dinner party in in your metaphor. So, you know, I think that's just the one thing I'd add there. Side note, this is from uh, Paul. It's under the heading of latent demand. It's just emphasizing how a lot of intelligence teams are under either corporate security or legal departments. And I think uh, based on different corporate business models, there might be a justification for that. But it really, in some situations, it, it can stifle transition of information to hire. And what I mean by that is, There are exercises. I've had in different training in the private sector and government where you might go around the room and I would tell Ryan, I saw a red car yesterday outside a greenhouse. And then Ryan would tell the person next to him and it goes around the whole table. And you compare the last description with the very first one. And it's just a good exercise in seeing how a message gets distorted over time with the more messengers that are involved. The best and most concise way to convey a message is from one person to another. Every cutout that you have between the intelligence function and the key stakeholder, the message gets distorted, whether it's accidental, whether there's competing Funding lines, whether it's the office that Intel falls under doesn't want the message to get out. So I think it's really critical to try to figure out a way where ultimately the intelligence professionals have direct access, whether it's whether it's occasional or, or quarterly, but being able to convey that message directly.
0: We could probably do a whole episode just on, on that alone, on that sort of dissemination piece of the intel cycle. And, you know, I, I truly believe face to face is the best way to go. And so, yeah, I would just reiterate what you said. I think that's a great call out. So I just interrupted. Is there anything else on that highlight? No, I think I hit the key points.
1: You know, I think just, again, reading a quote from Paul in business, intelligence is treated as an ancillary support function. That makes another business function look better.
0: That might sound blunt, but I, I do think it's a, it's a very key point. So listen, that is a perfect segue into the last sort of takeaway or lesson learned that I wanted to highlight. I'll turn it back over to you in a second to see if there's any final thoughts. But the final one that really stood out to me and one that we're both obviously very passionate about is intelligence should be viewed as a distinct corporate discipline And Paul talked about this quite a bit. And his main message here was, in the government, intelligence as a discipline, it's very well established. People know about it. It's an area of expertise that's just been accepted. But that's not necessarily the case in business, and it can be viewed a little bit differently. And so, he went on to say that within a company, it often gets nested within a particular department, let's say. And we all know that Global security is at the top. Sometimes it's legal and there's pros and cons to that. But at the end of the day, it's oftentimes not viewed as an independent capability because of that. But when you actually think about it, he went on to explain that intelligence can cut across almost any business problem. It can help solve almost anything. It can support almost any decision. And it has the ability to cut across all corporate functions, all geographies, and you know, break a lot of silos, which is obviously very important when you're especially when you're working in large organizations. And so that resonated with me. And I know I know it resonated with the both of us because that is what this podcast is all about. That is why organizations like the Association for International Risk Intelligence Professionals exist. And that's to professionalize this field. You know, we are never gonna break through this glass ceiling and further professionalize until intelligence is seen as a business discipline. And at the organizational level, that has to be the goal, I think, as well as to fully integrate into the business so we can do our best work and add the most value. And we just need that chance. And so what this lesson reminds me of is just a never-ending need for education and outreach, both inside and outside of our organizations, in order to help us get there. And so I thought I would close on that one because that is really that helped us form the formation of this podcast. It's one of those sort of pillars or or beliefs that we stand for and that we want to help promote. And I know other organizations like Arup are trying to do the same thing. So I'll just stop there and see if you have anything else to add. No, I
1: just think a, a quick recap. I think things that uh, just reinforce everything you just described there is the the, uh, the intelligence professional identity, Craig's emphasis on acting as a guild and professional development, and another quote that Craig used that I think uh, we haven't brought up but it's important to highlight is there's no such thing as over disseminating information in most situations, and I you know I think that's kind of a you know, you and I have talked in the past about team of teams and just how some of the most effective public sector teams have worked. And that's one of the things is that transparency is critical. And, I, you know, I think all those things build goodwill with different teams across multifunctional platforms and uh, some something to something that I think both our, our initial guests have described.
0: Yeah, those are all outstanding points. And I think that's a great way to end. So. You know, I I appreciate the conversation. There were so many lessons from those two conversations. We just felt like we had to put together this executive summary episode. We're probably going to clock in around 45 minutes. So I hope everyone listening appreciates that. You know, we like to do a little bit of long form when we have our guests on just because they have so much to share. But we obviously know your time is really important and anything over an hour can be a bit of a challenge. But again, those are just some of the key lessons and, and takeaways that we sort of gleaned from our first two guests, which were Paul Colby. He's the director of the Intelligence Project at Harvard University's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. That's a mouthful. And Craig Singleton, who was actually our first guest, he's a national security expert and former senior US diplomat. So we hope you enjoyed those. We hope those are actionable. You know, We hope you find them useful. But obviously if you have any feedback for us you can find us on the Business of Intelligence LinkedIn page you can find us on LinkedIn as well individually we appreciate your feedback we've got a number of different episodes on tap that we're really excited for and again no pun intended but we are a customer driven podcast we've learned our lesson from all these really smart experienced guests and we want to put on you know podcast episodes that you want to hear about so Really appreciate your time and attention. And in the meantime, stay safe. And we look forward to talking to you all next time. Take care, everyone. Talk to you soon, Michael.
1: Take care, Ron.